there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. I like to give these talks catchy names to make people think, because I think it's important for us to think, and especially important for us to think in a new way, not to think as we normally think, which is thought by association. One thing leads to another thing. That's not all bad, but as a rule, it's not that great either. So I try to give the talks names and make them interesting, and we, we all know these principles. We all know this stuff, and it's not a matter of knowing it. It's more a matter of remembering it and remembering ourselves and our aim in connection with whatever it is that's happening to us in the moment. So we need to remember a positive idea, remember our aim, remember who we are and why we're here and what we're doing, and connect all those things together in the present moment. If we can do that, we will develop. How will you develop? You will develop in the only possible way that you can develop, in an orderly way, in the same way that everything else develops because this is an ordered universe and so first you have the seed then you have the blade then you have the ear then you have the full grain in the ear that's the way it works everything works the same way there's an order that must be observed and you don't have to worry about that order that order is set by a higher intelligence than yours all you have to do is what is before you to do now. A story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, 16 and 17 is, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, of course, we know the exoteric Christian church makes this all about going out and converting people. And I say, if you want people converted, you should buy Uncle Ben's because that's the only kind of conversion that makes any sense like there. Because conversion is something that happens on the inside and you're the one who does it with yourself. It's not someone else who does it with you. I liked the story, though, because it gave me an idea about men being like fish. So he would make them fishers of men and I thought, well, that's interesting because if we could see men like fish, we might be able to leverage that and get some development out of that, get some awareness out of that, bring some consciousness, some sharpness to our ordinary life because we all deal with people. And when you deal with people, you tend to go to sleep. We tend to do it automatically. We tend to do it mechanically. The brothers were directed by life until they met a conscious man and began a journey along a different path. So they were out there doing what they were trained to do. They were directed by life. Life was making them fish. Life was making them fish because life was making them earn money. Life was making them get bread. Life was making them do the things that they were doing. So they were directed by life. But then they met a conscious man. They left their nets right there. They left their boats right there, and they followed him because something was different. A conscious man is something different. And so they began a different path.
And so it goes for each one of us who wishes to develop. If you wish to develop, you don't need to find a conscious man. All you need is someone more conscious than you. That can trigger the desire for development. That can trigger magnetic center. That can trigger the inspiration to do something now and to start moving along a different path. All esoteric teachings are based on the idea that we are and we can cease to be at life's beck and call. That we are and we can cease to be directed by life. Quite simply, all esoteric teachings say that we are asleep and we can become more conscious. Becoming conscious in the fullest sense of the word may be so far beyond anything that we can understand now that I say become more conscious. The most important thing for us is to take little bites, chew them properly, swallow them when they're properly chewed, and digest them. Rather than try to get the whole elephant in your mouth, rather than try and digest the whole thing all at once, take little bits at a time, assimilate them, and digest them properly. That's the best course. This can only be properly understood through the idea of scale. Now you'll start to get why this whole idea of fishermen, a fisher of men, fishmen, seeing men as fish, scale, it all started to fall together for me. So I want you to have these images because I want you to be able to look at people as individuals. I want you to stop taking people as ordinary mass people, men or women, old or young, black or white, and start to take people as individuals. Start to see them as individuals. Start to see them as unique. It's going to take some effort, but it can be done. To see more truth is a matter of seeing scale. This requires a consciousness beyond what we take as full consciousness. In other words, to see the whole truth is not something that's available to us at this point. Now, there are a lot of people who imagine that it is and imagine they know the whole truth. And that's fine. If you're in imagination, there's no sense in talking to you because you're well buffered, you're well fortified, you're well entrenched. And the only thing that will help you is to come out of imagination a little bit. And life may provide the shock for you to do that. And if it does, then good then I hope that when you do come out of it a little bit, you can take a look at yourself and become aware of how deceived you are. To see more truth, because that's all we can do now, is see more truth. We're not going to see the whole truth, but we can see more truth. And that is a matter of seeing things on scale. In the light of full consciousness, what ordinarily appears as contradictory ceases to be so. What that means is, as you increase your consciousness, contradictions begin to lessen. Opposites begin to not matter and be as distinct. In other words, instead of seeing two sides, you begin to see one coin. Instead of seeing heads or tails, you begin to see heads and tails of one coin. And then, after a while, you stop seeing one coin as one separate thing, but you see it as part of a whole. A penny is a part of is a one hundredth part of a dollar. A dime is a tenth part of a dollar. A nickel is a twentieth part of a dollar. A half dollar, 50 cents, is a half of a dollar. Then you start to see things in that way, in a more full way. To see things on different scales gives us power. It gives us the power to think in different categories. As we are, we generally think in an ordinary category. We're in ruts, thinking ruts. 
We have neuronic pathways that are well burned in, and we take those pathways whenever we begin to think, and we do it automatically, and that's how we get into negative emotions. That's how we find ourselves in negative states. We follow the path that we always followed. I remember one time I asked somebody, where is this place down in San Diego that I wanted to go to? She said, I don't know. I just kind of go there like a rat. The car leads the way. And she didn't really know how to tell me how to get there. Well, I think you'll find that there are a lot of things in your life, a lot of paths in your life that are just like that. You can't really tell someone how to get there because you've never really been there yourself. You got from point A to point B, but you don't know how you got there because you weren't conscious. Taking mankind is all similar on the same level is a sign of undeveloped consciousness. I got a message from someone the other day who, had, who also listens to podcasts and occasionally writes questions when they have a problem that they're dealing with. And she said that she had a neighbor who they'd been friends with for years. She'd been friends with for years. And she confided something very personal to this neighbor. And then the, she found out that the person, the neighbor, went and told every, everybody else in the neighborhood this very personal thing. And she was filled with mixed emotions when she found out about it. She was angry. She was frustrated. She was disgusted. She was forgiving. All of these things were swirling around in her. But she was angsty about it and mixed about it. And so she didn't know how to deal with it. And I said, well, the problem is you burdened that person. You had no business sharing an intimate personal detail like that with a person. She was not capable of not telling other people. She was not capable of keeping that in herself. And the reason that you did that was because you took all people as similar on the same level. And this is a sign of an undeveloped consciousness. When we are not fully conscious, when we're not properly conscious, when we're not properly aware, we take everybody as the same. We don't see that they're all different. They're all different types. They're all different levels of maturity. They're all different levels of ability. Some people can do a little more in one area than other people can do in that area. And some people can do a great deal in one area and do absolutely nothing in most of the other areas of life. We touched on this last week about how we focus on just one part of it. We develop one part of our personality and that that handles everything. And this is why people are so bad at living life. This is why people have accidents. This is why people have divorces. This is why people have, people have all these crazy, horrible things, wars, crazy, horrible things that happen in their lives. is because they've only developed one part of themselves, and they try to... It's like doing everything with a screwdriver. Well, a screwdriver is wonderful if you're driving screws or unscrewing something. And if it's a blade screwdriver, it might work if it's just the right size on a Phillips head. But if it's a Phillips head, it's not going to work on a slotted screw. You've got to have the proper tool, but we don't do that. We get the butter knife out, and we use it for everything. We use the handle as a hammer, and we tap, tap, tap. And we use it over here as a knife, and then we use it over here as a screwdriver, and we use it over here as a letter opener. And we have all these different things that we do with this one until it's finally ruined, and it's not good for anything. It's essentially the same thing that I'm talking about. If we take people, we take mankind as all similar, we're going to confide in people who we have no business confiding in. We're going to trust people who we should be trusting not to be able to do something that we're trusting them to be able to do. And it's not a matter of not trusting people. It's a matter of knowing how they can be trusted and what area they can be trusted. But there's only one way to know that. You have to take them in. You have to experience them as they are. You have to be there 
and see who that person is. And the only way you can do that is to be there yourself, which is why we don't do it, because we have undeveloped consciousness. We're not there ourselves, so we can't possibly know what this other person is like. Is this, what kind of fish man is this? Is it a trout? Is it a big mouth bass? Can it swallow anything? Well, is it a shark? Will it eat its own? Will it eat anything? Will it eat a, a, a tin can or a bottle? You know, they find all kinds of things in shark stomachs. What kind of person is this? When you start to ask yourself, what kind of person is this? And I don't mean in a critical way. I mean in simply a way of analyzing what kind of a person is this. See what kind of type of person this is. Is this the kind of person, for example, I said to Scott this morning, well, are you shy? And he said, yes. So he is a shy person. Compared to Steve, who is not shy, there are two different kinds of fish. Do you see? Two definite, we see people as people. Well, it's a man, it's a woman. It's more difficult for us to see them differently. But if you can start to look at them as fishmen, start to look at them in scale, you're going to be able to see that it's okay. This person is a barracuda. And this person is, you know, a fish that hides, a clownfish that, that goes and hides in anemones when it's afraid. And this person is very showy, but very shallow. And this person is very strong, but very quiet. Or this person is very loud, but very weak. And so you start to see them in that way. You'll find that your dealings with these people will differ. It doesn't mean that you will not respect them. You need to respect them all equally. They all have the right to be. It's not a matter of what you could use them for. That's what respect is about. Respect is about manipulation. We respect people means that we want something from them. We admire something in them. There's something we want. And the people we don't respect are the people we don't want. They have something we don't want. So it's all subjective. It's all based on what I can get for me, which is very selfish, very undeveloped. And what I'm suggesting is that we raise our consciousness to the point where we start to see people as each one having some special something. And it in and of itself makes them worthy. Whether you're a minnow or a whale, of course the whale isn't a fish, but whether you're a minnow or a very large fish, each has the right to be. And each has the right to be what it is. And this is the way that we need to approach people if we want to develop our consciousness. If you don't want to develop, then do whatever you want. What are you listening to me for? What are you doing here if you don't want to develop? So we're like fish men with different scales. Though all fish may well be fish, there are many different kinds. So with fish men, there are many different scales, many different levels, many different expressions, many different levels of consciousness. And if we can start to see in scale, we can allow for a lot more than we do in our ordinary state of consciousness. Unless our thinking changes, our consciousness will not change. And we'll take things on the same scale when they're really quite different. It's amazing. Someone writes to me and they ask me a question. How, what happened here? How can I deal with this? What should I do? Why are they asking me instead of the other 200 people that they know? Scale. They realize that it's a matter of scale. So let's talk about scale a little bit. This work divides mankind into seven different kinds of man, seven kinds of man. Men one, two, and three are one-sided in their own way. 
So man number one is basically a moving center, physical man. Man number two is the emotional man. Then man number three is the intellectual man. Then we come to man number four, who this work calls the balanced man. And then there's man number five, men number five six, and seven, who are conscious. The power of seeing things are on different scales is essential for gaining and maintaining the force from esoteric teachings and man, maintaining its strength within oneself. The problem with esoteric teachings is we don't maintain their strength in us. We first start to get a little bit of their force, but the strength begins to weaken. It begins to fail, and people lose interest. Everybody here, well, not everybody, but almost everybody here, went up and did two 10-day meditation courses where they sat 10 days, 10 hours a day, and meditated, and they didn't talk to anybody else, and they didn't look at people, and they didn't read, they didn't write, they didn't do anything, they didn't watch television, they didn't listen to radio, they didn't leave the, the premises. They meditated in a meditation hall. Ten hours a day. When they came back, everyone said, yes, well, I'm going to meditate two hours a day because that's the requirement, in order, and I'm going to have to do that for at least a year so that I can get this into my habit, into my consciousness. Now, there are people who, there are probably two there probably, there's probably one person in the room who has meditated twice a day since then. And everyone else has lost force. The strength of that diminished. So you see, it's a huge problem. And it's not just that. Look at all of the things that we have done that have lost their strength, have lost their force in you. The meditation retreat is still up there, and they still have hundreds of people coming in every week meditating 10 hours a day, for 10 days, going through the same thing. But when those people go, they lose force. They, slow, they get away from there, they slowly lose force, it's drained from them, and their practice begins to weaken. So you can see that it's a huge problem. Now the power of seeing things on different scales is essential for gaining and maintaining the force, but also for maintaining its strength in oneself. If you want to be strong in this in yourself, if you want to get this force and strengthen yourself and your ability to develop your being, your consciousness, if you want that to be strengthened, then you must begin to see different scales. Strength is the ability to endure, to persevere. This is valuation of the work, valuation of esoteric ideas. What you actually lose is your valuation. Because you can't see on scale, because you can only see your ordinary life in that scale, you lose the higher scale that you saw when you were meditating for that 10 days. You lose all of that scale, and when you get back down to your ordinary way of seeing things, your usual scale, you lose valuation because the valuation isn't there. It's only in greater scale. It's not in the lesser scale that you live in. This is why different scale is so important. You'll never be able to change your thinking. You'll never be able to change your being unless you can see higher. But you look at things in an ordinary way, and this causes you to lose the higher scale. Do you understand what I'm saying? Good. Unless valuation is constantly renewed, it falls down to the ordinary level of life where its force is drained. A couple Wednesdays ago, uh, we, we had somebody come in to show us some movements. And I said, well, these, they're all meditators. They all meditate every day. And Pat, I said, you do, right? 
And Pat said, no, I don't. And somebody else said, no, I don't. And what I found out was that they're not all meditators. And I had assumed that because I kept my meditation practice going, that everyone else did. I had assumed that because I kept my scale, that everyone else did. But what I saw was, well, that's not the way it is. So obviously, then we are weak in that area. So if we're weak in that area, this is something we need to be talking about. You need to be scaled. Yeah, it's better than flogged. So we've got to constantly renew our valuation. Or it falls down to the level of ordinary life. What does that mean, ordinary life? It becomes as important as everything else in ordinary life. You see that meditation has become as important or less important than other things in ordinary life. Less important than getting to work on time. Less important than getting the dishes done. Less important than this. Less important than that. But for me, the way I handle scale is I work from the top down. So the most important things have to happen first. The most important thing for me is my development. So the most important thing is meditation first. For me, I do some yoga before I meditate. And so I do that first to prepare me for meditation. Then I meditate. My day doesn't start until I do that. Because in scale, that is the most important thing. After that, everything else can find its level of importance in an orderly way. It will just find its level of importance. Nature pours a vacuum, and life will not abide a static state. If you do not press up, you will be dragged down. If you do not continue to put your effort into an ascending scale, an ascending octave, life will drag you down on a descending scale and a descending octave. The proof of this is that you have ceased meditating the way you once did. You have ceased doing the things you once did because you have entered onto a descending octave. And if it weren't for this connection that you have, you would not meditate at all. You break this connection and you will stop. You break this connection and you will go downhill. That's the way it is. Because nature abhors a vacuum, because life will not abide a static state, it must go either this way or that way. It's either in a process of developing or it's in a process of decaying. Scale is vertical, above and below. This is one of the things we need to realize. If you're looking for scale horizontally, you're only going to find life. Scale is vertical, above and below. This feeling comes with all self-remembering. This feeling of something higher comes with all self-remembering. If you are not having this feeling of something higher every day, you're not remembering yourself every day. If you ever remember yourself, you have a sense of your nothingness and a sense of something higher. That's always there. When we sense there is more above us, our nothingness is powerfully felt. The more we sense above us, the more powerful our sense of nothingness is. This is not a bad thing. This is one of the greatest things that can happen to you, to feel powerfully in all of yourself, in all of your being, your true nothingness is one of the most powerful things there are. Why? Because all of life comes out of nothingness. All form manifests out of nothingness. So to feel your nothingness is to feel your connection with the source of all. If you're feeling some other nothingness, like, oh, poor me, I'm worthless. <laughs> oh, I never get the good stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. That's all that ego stuff. That's all that insanity that goes with being in the false personality. It has nothing at all to do with that. It is something totally, completely apart from that. If you're thinking in that way, you're on the wrong track. Get off it and get on the right track. 
which as quickly as possible. When we can see ourselves in scale, we see that we can be higher or lower in consciousness, in being. If you see yourself in scale, if you see that there's more above you, then you know that you could rise to that. If you see that there's something below you, you know that you can sink to that. Seeing in scale is like a motion picture compared to a photograph. Now, we all know that we have pictures of ourselves. The work says we have pictures of ourselves, but it also says that we need to take photographs. Now, a photograph is different from a picture. It's a world of difference because a photograph is more like a moving picture or a video, whereas a picture is just a snapshot. We have pictures of ourselves, snapshots that we like to look at. Now, we'll take them all and we'll put them in an album or we'll put them in a little flip thing and we'll look at them and flip them and make it look like it's motion. But it's really just all the selected pictures of ourselves that we like. You know how it is when you go and you have your picture taken? You go to some photography studio, you go and have your picture taken, and then you go and you look at the proofs. Well, why do you look at the proofs? So that you can pick the ones that make you look better than you look. How come nobody ever gets a good picture of themselves? Because nobody can take a picture that looks as good as the picture you have inside of your head of who you are. That's why. That's why it's so difficult for anyone to take a good photograph of you, a good picture of you. Because what we imagine is so much more glamorous than what we are. And somewhere along the line, we took that picture and we've held it. We encased it in glass. We hung it on the wall, we gave it a prominent position, and we went and looked at it every day until we burned it into our minds that this is who we are. Pictures of ourselves and movies of ourselves are entirely different. It's shocking to see the movie when we've grown used to looking at random pictures. You start to see who you actually are, it's a huge shock. Like, oh my God, how did that happen? And we quickly forget about that and go back to the random pictures that we like because they make us look better and they make us feel better. And after all, life is all about feeling good, right? And looking good, I forgot. Yeah. Got to look good, too. If you feel good, but you don't look good, well, then how can you really feel good? Another thing, pictures and movies can never agree. Pictures are static, movies move. In this work, when they say get photographs, what they're saying is you need to have a number of photographs, a number of pictures taken over time. The difference in these pictures is they're work pictures. You look at yourself as you actually are over time. And it takes a long time. And then you start to have a photograph or moving picture so that you can see over time what you're like, not just this little snapshot. That's why they can never agree. Seeing a movie leaves us with an uneasy thought. And that uneasy thought may sound something like, oh, I'm not what I thought. And it may not be a big thing. It's just a little uneasy feeling like, you know, I think maybe what I had for lunch isn't agreeing with me. And that's exactly why, because what you're eating isn't agreeing with you, and it's not supposed to agree with you. At this point, most people often become negative in many ways. I'm not what I thought. What follows that almost every time is something negative. Increases in consciousness are usually followed by a gang of eyes wishing us to fall asleep again. Your consciousness increases, you see something about yourself that you weren't aware of before, and a bunch of little eyes will come in there, the little nurse eyes, and nurse you back to sleep. The little, oh, it isn't that way. The little self-pity eyes. Oh, that's just too much to expect. They'll nurse you back to sleep. They'll drag you back off to your stupor where you can't see that about yourself anymore. And people become negative. 
These ideas help us according to where they reside in us. These esoteric teachings only help people when they reside in the right place. If they reside in the wrong place, not only do they not help people, they can damage people. We'll just take one simple idea, the idea of Christianity. When it falls on the right place, men become like St. Augustine. Men become loving. Men become kind. Men become generous. Men strive for goodness. Men do things. They, they resist not evil. They turn the other cheek. They follow the golden rule. They do all of these things. But when it falls on the wrong place, you have things like the Inquisition and persecutions and God hates fags and all of this other insanity. And all that is is these beautiful ideas, these powerful ideas falling in little tiny mechanical places in the slums where little eyes get them and use them to beat up other little eyes. They're meant for the highest parts of us, above the attacks of negative eyes. We all have dangerous negative eyes. They're often undetected, not seen for what they are. They seek to drag us to the basement of useless, unnecessary suffering. And how often do, are we there? How often in a day are you in the basement of useless, unnecessary suffering? Too often? Too often. Just, let's just leave it there. Let's just leave it at two times. Too often. That's always the answer, incidentally. When I ask you how often, the answer is always two. So just say two. And, and we're dialed in, right, too, too often. So we must search for something designed to break their power. So these little eyes have a way of, it's like Gulliver's Travels, these little eyes have a way, like the Lilliputians, of just tying us up when we're asleep. And even though we're stronger, and even though we have the power, once we're all bound down, it's hard to break out. We've got to look for something that has the power, that's designed with the power to break the hold of these little eyes. Help can come from a conscious man who has given up self-poisoning. You see, the thing is, is, as people become more conscious, they stop eating poison. They stop eating it. Well, but I like it. Yes, but it's poison. Well, but it tastes good. Yes, but it's poison. Well, it's not killing me. No, but it's not doing you any good. Well, I don't care. I like it. Look at how you eat just physical food. It's a perfect example of how you like poison. Well, I like that. Well, you know it's not good for you. Well, yes, but, but I like it. It makes me feel good. And there you are. That kind of silliness is what we need to break out of. Someone who's given up self-poisoning can assist us, can help us. The worst power of life is the infection of negative emotions. Life's worst power, its most hideous power, is the infection of negative emotions. Once it infects the emotional center, the emotional center is nearly worthless for anything except negative emotions. It's like leprosy. It eats it all away. We cannot afford to even be quietly negative in ourselves. It's not enough to not be negative out here. We cannot afford to even be quietly negative in ourselves. We cannot afford to sit back and negatively hold that person, negatively judge that situation. We can't even afford to quietly sit inside of ourselves and do that. It is still the same poison. It may be worse because now you're hiding it. A poison seen and recognized is easier to deal with than a hidden poison. Conscious teaching is stronger than life. If not, we couldn't possibly develop. There would be nothing that could break the hold of life. 
There'd be no art, there'd be no culture, there'd be no civilization, there'd be no literature, there'd be no symphonies without the power of conscious teaching. It's what opens up scale above us and shows us that there is more above us that we could attain to if we were willing to do what needed to be done. If you wish to awaken even just a little, observe your negative states. It's a long process because we keep justifying our negative states. We must let go of very much vanity and conceit. I got an email this morning and I talked about my pride and vanity to someone in the email and they said, well, I don't feel like you're proud or vain. And it's like, yeah, well, that's nice. That doesn't have anything to do with my pride and vanity. Nothing at all. And I will not allow another person to judge my pride or vanity one way or the other. I've got it. I have to work on it. And when I take this layer off, there'll be another layer, finer, subtler, weaker underneath it, or maybe stronger, whatever. Then I will have to take that layer off. But it is a struggle and a work that we have to do for as long as we have to do it. I don't know how long that is. I'll let you know. So we must let go of a whole bunch of vanity and conceit, pictures, attitudes, buffers. We can't just step out of our skin becoming a different person. Wouldn't that be nice? And how many people do that? They go to a seminar, they go to a, somebody's seminar, and they come out of the seminar, and they're totally different people for 72 hours. And then their old self starts creeping up again, and they find that it didn't really work. It didn't really take. The very fact that you wish to awaken is proof there is more in you that wishes to be realized. The fact that you wish to awaken, the fact that you long to be something more, is proof that something more is in you. It is calling you. And there are people who are willing to help you on your way. And they are helping you, whether you know it or not. I think that's good news. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.